Church, hey, it's great to be here today. Gosh, I love Los Angeles. I was actually born here, right? Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, but welcome to the South Bay Church, and uh, my name is Tim Summerlin. And along with my wife, Jackie, we lead what's called the In Motion Ministry in the Denver Church. And uh, Steve and Jacqueline invited me to come out here this weekend to, uh, to speak with a variety of disciples about our recovery ministry and how God is using weak people, us, to find recovery in a variety of issues and at the same time change the Denver church to become a more compassionate and loving place. Steve and I have talked for years, as he mentioned, and about the possibilities of this kind of ministry, which I'll share about in just a few minutes. And we finally got in motion to the point where we felt like we could travel around and talk to other churches about this. Steve and I just feel like we have kindred spirits. I feel like we think alike. Kind of like from the day I met him, I thought, this guy's going to be my friend. And uh, I'm just so excited about what he's doing out here in Los Angeles. And um, so we're going to talk today about Jesus's creative heart to heal. And I got to get my technology going here. But before I begin, I would like to extend a special happy Father's Day to all you dads out there and all you dads-to-be. And uh, also wanted to mention, for those of you who have lost your dads, I hope today brings back really fond memories and that you can honor your dad. There's my dad, so say hi to my dad. Also, hey, how about them L.A. Kings, right? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Uh, Two cups in three years, man. They're on quite a run. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. Okay. So In Motion is a ministry that we started over three years ago, and it reaches out to people that have a variety of hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and addictions such as alcohol, smoking, weight problems, and the most insidious one of our day, lust and pornography. Relationship issues such as bitterness, a lack of forgiveness, and troublesome marriage problems. And finally, we also help people with character sins, such as fear or self-esteem issues. Anything that gets in their way with their walk with God, we take on. This morning, what I'd like to ask you to do is consider an area of your life which may be out of God's control, an area that you struggle in. So if you just take a second, and in your own mind, think about something in your life that you just don't feel like you've given over to God yet. So today I want to speak on an area that's very dear to my heart. It's called the creative heart of Jesus to heal. Um, This ministry is actually born out of some of my own personal struggles with impurity and also kind of a frustration I saw as the church was bringing in secular means to help people. And I saw, wow, we have Jesus We have his Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, and we have this impressive church to help each other. we got to do something to get all three of those together. But first of all, look in your Bibles at Isaiah chapter 42, and I want to look for just a second at God's heart for his people. And guys, I don't have my kids today on Father's Day. They both live in China, so I kind of need you to help me out here a little bit, all right? You know, I'm a little insecure without my kids being around. By the way, that worship service so far, I had a hard time getting up here. 
I had a big cry right there next to Jackie. I'm like, how am I going to speak today? I'm up here bawling like a little baby, a little chorus up there. I mean, that was a great worship time. Let's look at God's heart for his people. In Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 5, this is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches him out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. God's heart has always been to restore his people to a relationship with him and with each other. Redemption is a golden thread that we see throughout the Bible. And in order to do that, he sends us Jesus. Today, we're going to be discussing living a life as a Christian with weaknesses, sins, and character issues. Many of us have been at this for a lifetime, it seems like. And we know that life can present many challenges to overcome. Living as a disciple has its own challenges in that we are called to a very high standard. And it doesn't get any easier as we age. If anything, life can be even more difficult in some ways, both around us and within us. Often we cannot do anything about the issues that go on around us. Other people, our work situation, our family. But we can do something about the stuff inside of us. It's the within us that I'd like to speak about today. All of us have issues to deal with. Sins, grief, character problems. What are yours? Oh, you don't have any? Ah. Well, maybe I can help you out a little bit. What about lingering sin? Porn, smoking, alcohol, anger, lust, weight issues or fantasy? Sins that have a staggering effect on your heart and how we experience our God. Maybe you have secret sins that you've not told anyone about. Or you do the safe thing and you find an ally to get a truce with. Maybe it's relationship issues like bitterness, resentment, and hurts that not only continue but even grow over time. Are there people that you shy away from? You don't speak to certain family members? You just, quote, can't get along? Maybe there's even people here in the South Bay Church that you stay away from. Possibly there are childhood issues that seem to shape your current life even years later. You were abused as a child, and the lingering effects of shame, mistrust, and hurt come up years later. Or you were raised in a dysfunctional home, and you bring that dysfunction into your current family. I got into an argument with my son a couple, about two years ago. We went out for a beer. We were supposed to have a really good time together. We got in this huge argument. It's really bad. And he goes, Dad, you don't know what it's like to be raised in a conservative Christian family. I said, you're right, buddy, I don't. And I said, and you don't know what it's like to be raised in a dysfunctional Methodist one. He goes, yeah, okay, I got it. We're even then, right? Maybe you're bringing some of that into your home as well. I certainly did and do. That's probably why both my kids live in China. <laughs> it's about as far away from Denver as you could possibly get in the world. No. 
Maybe some of you are dealing with grief and loss issues. Maybe for many years, or maybe you have recent losses that cause you to feel isolated and others don't quite relate to you or they don't have answers for you. These are just some of the challenges we may face as individuals or as a church. But let me ask you this question. How honest are we as a church? Have you ever tried to have, and their response is, oh, how about the weather? How about that weather today? Safe, opening up. Are your conversations simply surface conversations, or do you get deeply involved with each other's? Have you had issues for years now and you can't seem to make progress? What happens to a church or a person who acts like everything is fine and don't have any issues to deal with? Well, I'll tell you what the Bible says about it. There was this one king in Israel, things were a mess, and he was walking around with sackcloth on underneath his robe. Everybody knew he had problems except for himself. Jeremiah said this about the people. He said, people cry, peace, peace, when there's no peace. And Jesus said it this way, their ears are closed, so they will not hear. What does this do to us as Christians and as a church? Well, we appear phony and fake. We can be unmotivated. The preacher preaches on evangelism or giving, and we catch an attitude and respond apathetically. We might lose our gratitude. Our sin grows and gets worse. Relationships can stay stagnant, and this can go on for years, even decades. On the other hand, what happens when people live real, open, and honest lives? Well, God is lifted up as we expose and overcome our issues, not when we act like they're not present. God is glorified in our weaknesses, but he's hidden in our pride. People are attracted to weakness, not to people that have it all together. Our non-Christian friends, they don't wake up in the morning and say, I need to go find a church that has the right doctrine. They don't do that. They wake up in the morning and they say, man, my life's a mess, or my marriage is in shambles, or I can't seem to raise my kids right. That's what people are. People are attracted to Christians who live authentic, genuine, but not perfect lives. And there are so many books, programs, approaches, theories, counselors, and such to help us with our weaknesses. Some are helpful, some are harmful, most are pretty expensive, and many use a medical model that treats issues like disease and does not honor the complexity of our lives. In the United States, we spend billions of dollars on medication annually that often has more side effects than cure. I'm not advocating trashing all those approaches. I make a living as a counselor. Although as a family of churches, I do believe that we've strayed from Jesus' heart to heal us. The life-altering gospel of Jesus Christ. If you can see the verse up there at the very bottom, Psalm 119, verse 96 all perfection, I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. All theories, books, and the latest psychological fads, they have limits. There's a limit to every one of those, but not the scriptures. The problem I see is not that the gospel message is not relevant to us, but we've lost the effectiveness. We've lost touch with the power and the heart behind it. So today what I want to do is illuminate a man who provides us with every answer to life's challenges 
and has done so for the past 2,000 years. Make no mistake about it, what was advocated in the first century in the scriptures still holds true today, no matter what psychological fad theory or book says. Now, let me do a caveat here. If you're one of these people out here, the rare guy that doesn't have any challenges, I want you to do three things. Number one, I want you to thank God. Number two, I want you to get ready for challenges because they're going to come. And number three, look at the guy next to you and say, hey, how can I help you out? So let's talk about Jesus. He was, he was and is God's answer to our need for change and the best illustration of God's redemptive nature. Let's talk about this guy. Jesus healed many, all kinds of diseases and sicknesses, mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional, the heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because that's what it takes to love God. And Jesus was all about people loving God. So consider this about Jesus and the many people that he interacted with in his three years of ministry. Jesus performed very few miracles that didn't involve a healing. Let's talk about some of those healings. Here we go. Jesus healed a guy who had never spoken so that he could talk and connect with others. Do you sometimes feel like you can't connect with people? Then he restored someone's speech and hearing, again, dramatically changing their life. Jesus took a woman who had a bent spine for 18 years, and he straightened it out. Have you ever felt bent out of shape? Then Jesus came across a guy who had been an invalid for 38 years, who had apparently been making excuses, and with a little questioning and a little faith, he healed him. So he could walk again in full view. Here's a question. Do you make excuses about your problems? You know, here's mine. I'm going to struggle with lust for the rest of my life. That was what I said to people. Three years ago, I found tremendous freedom from that sin. And uh, it was amazing. I felt like a young Christian again. God just gave me freedom from it. I felt pure on the inside. I've been a Christian like 38 or 33 years I'm running around telling people, oh, my gosh, you got to figure out my God. Look what he did for me. I'm like tapping people on the shoulder. It got to the point where people are like, yeah, yeah, Tim, I already heard your story. All right, tired of hearing your story. I was like a little kid again. I'm running around talking to everybody about my God. It was so great. It's so good to be engaged again. You know, I'm never leaving the church, right? I'm a plugged in Christian, go to church, give my contribution, all those great things on the outside. But to be free again on the inside, that was a different story. That was the way God intended us to live our lives, with freedom on the inside, not just the outside stuff. Then I love this one. There's an invalid guy who was carried up on the roof with four of his friends during one of Jesus' Bible talks. He interrupted it. They lowered him down through the roof, and Jesus healed him because of all five of their faith. Let me ask you guys this. Who are your four guys? And who are you a, a guy for? We all need people in our lives. Then there was one time in front of a bunch of angry religious people, Jesus healed a guy with a shriveled hand on the wrong day, the Sabbath, and restored it to normalcy. You want to feel normal again? Good. Go to Jesus. Then there were the demon-possessed people. A naked guy running around tombstones, cutting himself. I see that in my school all the time, by the way. People cutting themselves. And then after an interaction with Jesus, the man was clothed 
and in his right mind. Recovery is not only a change of behavior, but it's a change of heart and of mind as well. Then there's this boy that was out of control. Again, looks like my high school that I work in. As well as another guy with friends of the demoniac. For those of you that have felt out of control in your life, take heart. Then there's this non-Jewish woman. Her daughter was sick, and Jesus dismissed her, kind of put her off, and then she challenged him. And Jesus, who was a bit shocked at her response, he came back and he said, I've never seen such great faith. A little honesty can go a long way, you guys. A man born blind got his sight restored, and then two guys together received their sight. And then another two men, it took a little ruckus to get Jesus' attention. Jesus spit on them, showing the creative, on-the-edge heart that he has. You know, sometimes we're too influenced by what the world says about recovery. We get too scripted on that. Jesus had this creative, on-the-edge heart that just kept people on their toes. It was really cool. Then one time, the gospel writer, he couldn't keep up with all the number of healings, so he just summed it up by saying, all who were sick in the towns and villages and countryside in the marketplaces were healed. He couldn't write it all down. He just said, all of them were. Then there was a guy with leprosy was healed. And then 10 guys with leprosy. And only one of them came back. You know, Jesus healed whether people were thankful or not. Peter's mother-in-law, she got up and served him. Uh, And by the way, the normal response is gratitude. Are you still grateful after all these years? Then there's this woman who had a bleeding hemorrhage problem. And she spent all she had. So she sought Jesus out in a potentially embarrassing situation to be healed. Have you ever felt like you spent all you have You're at your rope's end. Then I love this guy, Malchus. Remember Malchus's ear? Remember that one? He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He just showed up to work, and then Peter chops his ear off. It was totally Peter's fault. It wasn't Malchus's fault. You know, Jesus doesn't care so much how you got where you are today. Jesus' heart is simply to heal you. It doesn't matter how much it happened or why it happened or when it happened. Jesus just wants to get us better. Don't spend so much time and money trying to figure out all the ins and outs and whys. Focus on getting better. Then there's the centurion servant. That was a long-distance healing, even before the Internet. Thank you for laughing, Jackie. I appreciate that. Then there's this royal guy, his son. He got healed remotely. With Jesus, there's no class warfare. And then finally, the big ones. Jesus actually raised people from the dead. His friend Lazarus, and then Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. And then there's another summary statement. Jesus cured many who had diseases and sicknesses and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And guys, these are just the ones that were written down. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, like backwards. Uh Uh-oh. Pray for my PowerPoint. Ah. Oh, I think we have to go through all that again. That's okay. Tell me when that's done, okay? You guys help me out here? All right. All right.
Thank you. Thanks, Sherwin. Guys, Jesus healed early in the morning. He healed around the noon hour. He healed at night and late into the evening, 24-7. Jesus spit on people's eyes. He spit on their tongues. He touched their eyes. He spoke, commanded, cried, scoffed. He ignored. He got touched, and he touched. He prayed, and my guess is he most likely laughed all along the way. If nothing else, Jesus was creative. He healed every age, every gender, every socioeconomic type guy, every political stance person. He healed people that were prominent and low life. It didn't matter what your religion was. As a matter of fact, the less religious you were, the more healings you seemed to get. Think about that one. Can I get an, did I get an amen over there? Thank you, thank you, yeah. Something about being religious, you know. Jesus healed if it was your fault or if he had nothing to do with your problem. He was an equal opportunity healer. Jesus healed whether you responded to it or not. Some went and told everyone, and others just went along their way ungrateful. But there's one healing that has arrested me from day one. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 7. This is my favorite story in the Bible. I don't know why. It just is. There's a heart behind this story. Luke chapter 7 and verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe, and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. There are two groups near the city gate. One was coming in and one was going out. One of the groups was in deep grief, isolation and fear. And one was on a mission to change the world. They could have simply passed each other up. The woman caught up in her grief and Jesus on a mission. But Jesus was arrested by this woman. His heart went out to her, and he proceeded to radically change her life. Let's take a closer look at Jesus' heart to heal. I'm kind of scared to do this now. (gasps) Ah. First of all, guys, I want to let you know Jesus sees. Jesus saw this woman in her distress and was arrested. What does he see in you? Does he see sin? Does he see that you remain in bondage to your sin? Have you quit trying or do you fight back? He sees your sin and he still has a vision for you. Does Jesus see hurt? Does he see hurt that's been there for years? Maybe someone abused you in your past and the memories still bother you. 
and you're just not sure what to do. Perhaps you're holding on to hurt in the church and you've not yet dealt with it. Jesus sees your hurt. Does Jesus see disappointment? Is your life what you had not is your life not what you'd hoped for? Your dreams have not panned out the way you thought or prayed about when you became a Christian and things remain the way they were before. Maybe sin has come roaring back. How about despair? Does Jesus see despair in your life? Is this one of your recovery stops in your life and despair begins to set in? Or maybe he sees a flicker of hope. Jesus sees it all. But secondly, Jesus feels. Luke records, his heart went out to her and he was filled with compassion. Jesus feels, he hurts over your sin, your lack of will to change. He hurts over the hurts in your life. Jesus feels what you feel. Jesus feels the rejection of you putting an idol above your love for him. And by the way, that's all addictions are. They're idols that we build to worship. John Calvin once said, the human heart is an idol factory. Jesus calls for an unconditional love for him. He's able to empathize and sympathize with you. He went through everything like us, and he never sinned. He knows what frustration, loneliness, and despair feels like and how to overcome it. South Bay Church, Jesus feels. But thirdly, Jesus speaks. He said, hey, don't cry. And then, young man, I say to you, get up. He told this kid, quit being dead. And the kid sat up. Well, here's a few things Jesus says to you today. Jesus says, I love you. He said, I died for you. Jesus says, I accept you right now as you are. And I have dreams for you that do not include your sin. Jesus speaks into our hearts the solution to our life's problems. You see it all the way throughout the Gospels. He speaks simplicity into our complexity. You ever felt like your life's complex? It is. Trust me, your life's pretty complex. So is mine. Jesus speaks simplicity into your complexity. And he uses words that cut right to the core of who you are. Jesus speaks. He speaks into our minds to clear up the insidious lies of Satan that we've come to believe and live. Lies that keep us in cycles of addiction and living problem-saturated lives. One such lie that we see over and over again at In Motion is a lie, once an addict, always an addict. We see other lies like, one more time will satisfy me. Or, hey, this is just the way I am. Those are lies. Nothing is further from the truth. As a matter of fact, God makes it very clear what our identity is. And I want to challenge you to accept not your conception of your identity, but God's identity is. Here's what God says about you guys. He says you're chosen, you're royalty, you're heirs. God says, hey, you're citizens of heaven. That we're all new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. God says you're a son and a daughter. That we're saints, we're ambassadors, we're conquerors. God says, hey, we face no condemnation. God says, we're lights and we're living stones that were justified 
and redeemed. He says we're children of God. And then as if you don't quite believe that, he goes, that's what we really are. God goes to great lengths to describe our identity in Christ. And I'm going to ask you, you decide what you want to believe. And we tell this to people in emotion. You can decide if you want to believe you're still an addict. Or you can choose to say, I believe what God tells me about myself. It changes our life right from the get-go. Once we buy into what God says about me, it begins to change our lives. Just the mere fact that I decide to buy this, what he just said about me, begins to help me in my sin. Trust me. Jesus speaks to us. Fourthly, Jesus touches. He stopped the funeral in mid-procession, and he said, hey, it's over. He touched the bleeding woman. He touched the paralytic. He touched people's dirty feet. He wiped away tears. He touched the lepers. He touched blind people's eyes. How will Jesus touch you today? In Ephesians 2, Paul says this. He says, we are all God's workmanship. We are all God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work. Now, I don't know a lot of Greek. Actually, I know one word in Greek. It's this word here. The word for handiwork is the word poetria. It's where we get the word poetry. We are all unique poetry of God. Every one of you, you're a unique individual, you're poetry. Sometimes we get so scripted in how God is going to change us, how Jesus wants to change us. The healing touch of Jesus is sometimes unpredictable and unscripted, which makes it that much more obvious to give glory to God. Finally, Jesus presents. Ta-da! Witnesses proclaim, God has come to visit his people. There was a blind guy who was given his sight. He said it this way. He goes, all I know is I was blind, and now I see. Ask the guy over there. I don't know. Just go ask Jesus about it. All I know is I used to not see, and now I do. South Bay Church, there are stories to be made in the Lord's church. I don't know what they are yet, but I know they include struggle, challenge, victories, and leading other people out of darkness. You have the opportunity to create a story, a narrative built by God to inspire you and many other. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit often come up with surprising and unique, strange ways of helping his people. How will God's Spirit work in your life? Let me share with you a story about my son, Tim. I have a little guy, we call him Timmers. He's going to be 25 in about a week. He was converted in the church back in ninth grade. He was a fired up young disciple, always wanting to pray with people. He reached out, tried to get a Bible talk started in his high school. Just your dream come true for a kid, right? And then some horrible things happened to him. There's some things that happened that were completely out of his control. And then his own sinful nature kicked in. And by the time he got to college, he was on his way out. He actually became an atheist. And he would come home and argue with me. One night I walked into his bedroom and I saw a bunch of books or a bunch of boxes on the floor full of books. I said, what, what are the books? He goes, oh, dad, those are all my Christian books. I sold them for a dollar each on Amazon. It broke my heart. I, I walked out of that bedroom I was shaken. He became an atheist. Maybe a few years later, he finally um, 
kind of moved up to being a Buddhist. I'm like, all right, here we go. Um, he also became very cynical and angry. Just hard to be around, to be honest with you. Well, in the meantime, his sister, his older sister, who's like the perfect kid, she went on a mission team in China for a year. She's been there four now. And um, she, we went to rescue her. And the week we went to rescue her, some kids showed up from Texas. And uh, they fell in love with each other. That didn't work. So um, anyways, they, they're going to get married, right? About two years ago, they, the guy calls me. He goes, hey, your daughter completes me. I thought, oh, I know where this is heading. I said, call me back on Sunday, click. <laughs> I, I did. I honestly, I did. He's like, what happened? But uh, anyway, so the wedding was a year and a half ago in January. My son's like, I ain't going. Stupid. Who goes to China to get married? Who marries some guy from Texas? <laughs> we used to live in Texas. I told my daughter, I said, I can't believe you. I said, I spent thousands of dollars getting this out of Texas, and now you're going to marry some guy from there. But anyways, I convinced my son, go to the wedding, okay? I'll buy your ticket. So I spent $1,200 on his ticket, and I thought, great, I just spent 1200 bucks so he can go discourage all the Chinese Christians. <laughs> so in the meantime, right before all this happened, him and I had a bet. He goes, Dad, you need to lose some weight. He's like this perfect vegan, in-shape guy. I go, you're right. I said, you need to read your Bible. He goes, oh, he goes, I'll tell you what. He goes, Dad, you start losing weight, and I'll read the whole New Testament. I said, you're on, baby. Let's do it. So um, he kept up his part of the bargain. As you can tell, I haven't quite kept up my part, but um, he started reading his Bible just to read it. And that was it. So he goes to China, and the first week he's in China, he won't talk to any Christians. He goes to Hong Kong, where they have the world's largest Buddha statue. And he goes to worship the Buddha statue. And in the middle of that whole thing, he looks up at the Buddha and goes, I can't believe I'm getting ready to give my life to this thing. He comes back to Guangzhou. I arrive in for the wedding, the week of the wedding. He comes back. And he starts talking to the Christians in China. And he's so impressed with their authenticity. They're not encumbered by all the American Christianity stuff we have to deal with, right? They're not encumbered by that. They're just Christians. They just wanted to love Jesus. And he's so impressed by their authenticity. And uh, one of the nights I went in, they had a midweek. All these Chinese college students were in this little cramped apartment praying and stuff in Chinese. And I walk into it, and my son's in there. I'm like, what's he doing here? Why is he here? My wife's like, shut up. Just pray. So we go through the wedding. It was a great wedding. You know, dad gets to walk the little girl down the aisle and all that stuff. And I'm getting ready to fly back to the States. And I look over at this restaurant in the corner. He's talking to one of the leaders of the church. I'm like, ooh, what's he doing talking to that guy? So I kind of tiptoe by. Hey, buddy, I'll see you back in the States. I'm leaving. He comes back to the States. And we had that argument the next day, that one I just told you about, about the dysfunctional family thing. And then he goes, oh, I got to go, dad. He goes, I'm Skyping. I'm going to get a job in China. What? So he runs home. He Skypes to get a job in China. And then he starts meeting with the leaders of our church. My friends, the old guys. John Lusk and Armando and these different guys. And my wife and I are like, what's going on around here? We're tiptoeing around the house. We don't want to say anything. He gets restored. 
He gets restored. Oh, I forgot to do this. And then he moves to China the next day. There he is. He's standing there going like, what just happened to me? Isn't that cool? That's his friend Jesse. He helped become a Christian over there. He loves China. He loves it. That's him at the airport holding up a little orange. Hey, Dad. I get to go see him in a couple of weeks. Guys, here's my point. As we, you combine Jesus' creative heart to heal, the amazing scriptures, and then God's perfect Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, crazy things can happen in your life. Is it possible for me to overstate Jesus' healing ministry? I'll let you decide. But I'm not sure I can overstate this man, Jesus, and what he did for people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Jesus' creative heart was to restore man to relationship with God and to their fellow man. And he seemed absolutely bent on doing that to his very last drop of blood, his sweat, and his tears. And the good news is that Jesus continues this ministry in our church and in the lives of many people. There's always a possibility for change when Jesus is around. Let me conclude this message today with three things I'd like you to go and do. Number one, find newness in your walk with God. Fight for your walk with God by engaging in the difficulties of life. Decide to be a part of Jesus' story. You are safe with him. He wants only the very best for you, but he will not force us to engage. Our Jesus created the universe and this very earth that you call home. He put you in your family, and he created you for life. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants the very best for you. And he's demonstrated that over and over again in your life. Trust him. Pray to him. Look to him. Listen intently to his answers and revel in your walk with God. Number two, go back to the ancient paths of the truths found in the word. Sometimes we simply stray from the basic concepts and truths that God has laid out for all of history. Return to the ancient paths that God has laid out for you in the gospel message. Read your Bible more often with greater intensity, with more passion, and push yourself to trust in the promises on a much deeper level. Your trust and reliance on the Bible is your number one source to overcome anything in your life, barring none. Use it, memorize it, depend on it, never walk away from it. The scriptures are your life. And then finally, open your mouth with your best friends. Satan's greatest scheme is for you to stay quiet, to accept your shame as normal, and to continue to live in darkness. Bring yourself into the light. This is half the battle. Engage with those near you. All recovery is social in nature. Go deeper in your discipleship with others. Discuss the difficult questions. Don't settle for surface talk that is meaningless and does not change lives. Be willing to go to uncomfortable places with each other. It's refreshing and it's attractive to other people and it makes a difference. Matter of fact, in the fellowship today, I want to ask you to do something. Just share with each other what's an area of your life that you feel like Jesus' creative heart can heal. Do that in fellowship today. And then finally, let me just close with an encouraging scripture. 
Ephesians 3, verse 13. Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. My prayer is that for all of you to benefit from, to share with others, and stand amazed at Jesus' creative heart to heal. Thank you, and may God bless each of you this week.